Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. StoryWorth makes it easy and fun for your loved ones to share their stories. Simply purchase a subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends them an email with a question about their life. They reply with their story. Then, after a year, their stories are bound into a beautiful keepsake book. It's a great gift for anyone who enjoys telling stories. The kids love to hear about Nana's life, and so do I. For $20 off, visit StoryWorth.com slash crime when you subscribe. Murder, romance, scandal, that is my kind of mystery, right, Kevin? Yeah. Dispatch by Breakout Games delivers all of that and more straight to your home. Told through clues you receive in the mail, the story draws you in to solve a crime over several months of interactive investigation. I've been playing with Kevin, and we love the game. And trust I'm better me, at it. you are better at it. It's pure crime-solving gold. Intrigued? Satisfy your curious mind with 50% off your first delivery. Go to breakoutdispatch.com slash crime and use the code crime to subscribe today. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, a mini review of my new favorite fake true crime podcast, Done Disappeared, and a full review of the Netflix series based on an old-timey true crime, Alias Grace. Joining me to dive into all that is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, and my favorite nonstop snoring machine, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. You really had to bring that up. <laughs> I have no... You could be fibbing. I have no... There's no empirical proof I snore. Oh, there could be. <laughs> we own microphones, motherfucker. <laughs> They're down here in Studio C. Okay. All right. Well... We'll just have to figure that out. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and overwhelmed multi-kitten herder, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello. Yeah, I'd like to announce that my uh, crazy cat lady status is officially, like, cemented now. We had gotten some pheromone stuff for our kitties here to try to make them all get along. Didn't really work here, but I was out doing an interview today and a like totally random cat who doesn't like people just <laughs> jumped on my lap and wouldn't get down. And I was like, does this cat always do that? And they're like, uh, no, not really. Oh, you're insane. All right. And finally, the panelist who most vocally resembles John David Booter, the brilliant novelist behind the City Trilogy and co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, 
Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, ma'am. <laughs> uh, well, we have a little bit of an announcement to make, guys. And Toby and Laura, I know that you don't really know much about this, and I'm pretty excited awesome. about it. Are you guys ready? All right. Rebecca's pregnant. I'm <laughs> Sweet. Does that mean I have to give her my cat slang? Oh. No. No, I'm not pregnant. Jesus, Kevin, you even scared me I mean, there. You for set a it up. It was, so you walked right into that joke. No. So you may or may not remember that um, we've had some recent losses with regard to our partnerships on the show <laughs> <laughs> lately, most recently, Amazon. And as I told you guys, like, I wasn't that sorry when that happened, but I didn't tell you why. Now I'm going to tell you why. It has been in the works for a little while. We have now partnered with Stitcher Premium. Stitcher Premium is a premium subscription platform where we will be offering, guys, extra content, including a brand new spinoff podcast that Kevin and I have created called Married with Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if our listeners want to hear a sample of that show and find out one of the things they could get on Stitcher Premium, uh, they can wait till the end of this episode. We're actually going to drop a little like what, like it's like seven minutes long sample mm-hmm. of yeah. Married with Podcasts they can listen to. Um, so basically what you have to do, listeners, is go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime. You can get one month free trial uh, with your monthly subscription. In addition to getting our new show, Married with Podcast, which will only be on Stitcher Premium, what else will our listeners get, Kevin? Well, they'll get ad-free editions of these are their stories mm-hmm. and HGTV and me a whole week ahead of uh, before they drop an early drop yes an early drop and you get access to all of the Stitcher premium programs uh, remember when missing Richard Simmons had like a week early you could hear yes. missing Richard Simmons you can hear a special editions of WTF with Mark Marin and Chris Gethard's Beautiful anonymous comedy bang bang all of these like top tier shows actually it's kind of a coup because we're not like with one of those giant no, networks that no, they deal with no. we're like one of the first indies that they've taken yeah, on yeah this is a new thing Stitcher's doing basically they are splitting the subscription money with us so you are helping out the show and it's a t- it's it's very small it's four ninety nine a month four ninety nine a month and you get a yeah. first month free if you don't like it pff, if you don't like Mary with podcasts pff, but you can try it for free yeah try it for free you get exclusive stuff from Partners in Crime Media when we have new stuff that comes out new podcast that we're trying yep it'll be there extra content and you get all this other stuff it's basically like signing up for hbo (laughs) yeah right but you're doing it just because you want to help larry david yes and you're checking out mary with podcast which actually is kind of awesome it's actually really good yeah it is yeah so no more on this show answering questions about how did you and rebecca meet yeah. I'm not telling you that. You listen to Mary with podcast. Go to the firewall, lady. <laughs> anyway, guys, so uh, this is an exciting new partnership, Lara and Toby, and there might be some opportunities for you to put some content behind the firewall. Right. We'll have to discuss oh, that. But it's right. important that people go and they log in at yes. our space so that we get credit for that subscription. Stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime. You'll get a one-month free trial. Of Stitcher Premium. Yeah, of all the best audio content in the world. It's very exciting. So I can put my spoken word album up? Yes, you can put your spoken word album up. <laughs> Do you have one? We'll put it up. No, I don't have a spoken word album. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't just give that shit away. <laughs> I, don't know. I think it's exciting. It makes me feel like um, a grown-up podcaster to say, like, we're on Stitcher Premium. Yeah, Like, right. we're not anywhere special, but now we are. Oh, we are, but our audience was really what pushed us there, so yeah. we didn't do it on our own. No, we didn't do it on cool. our own. Cool. 
so Kevin, um, to kick off the show, I know I'm wearing pajama pants. Are you looking at my pants? Yeah, they're like, oh. Are they Santa pants? No, first of all, they're my pajama pants. Yes. They have 1940s pinup girls uh, dancing and, and oh. swimming in martini glasses. Yes. Nice. It's, oh, it's very wow. 60s kind of lounge, uh, but uh, they're definitely my pants, and you're wearing them rolled up to your knees. It's really disturbing. Basically, you are having the experience I have every fucking week on this show. You oh, looked over and saw ass. me wearing something horrible. <laughs> <laughs> dressed up nice. I've got my sock club socks on. Kevin, we have one of these to kick off the show tonight. Can you please read this for me? True crime update. So, guys, uh, a judge denied Stephen Avery's request for a new trial again. All right, so let's move on. Okay, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Nothing more to see don't, here. Don't worry, another five thousand page motion's coming. So <laughs> it is fun. just in time for the holidays. It is. I actually saw that news right before we started taping, and I was like, yeah, I. I just can't again. I can't have another no. conversation about yet another crazy motion filed by this lawyer. Um, so yes, that happened. Um, now we're going to answer a couple of quick questions we got from our audience this week, and I hope you guys are down for that. A lot of these came in through our email, crimewritersona at gmail com, and some through our exclusive. No, that's not true. We'll let anyone in. Official Crime Writers on Facebook group. But um, some listeners said they had questions, and I um, wanted to give everyone a chance to weigh in with those. So, Laura, um, a question came in for you if you are, you know, down to answer it. And the question for you is... Um, Laura, what celebrity would you leave your spouse for without hesitation? <laughs> uh, you can't say Idris Elba because that's a given. And uh, this huh. is what from listener Sarah would like to know this from you. Wow. For me, um, you know, I haven't really given that a lot of thought. James Wyrick? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Damn. <laughs> the Marines have landed. That's a very that's good a choice. Familiar. That's a very, very, very good choice. It's not something I've given a lot of thought to. I've given a lot of thought to, like, what celebrity would I be, but not what celebrity would I leave uh, Fireman Ken for. So Here's you know. your answer. The Rock. <laughs> it's always The Rock. <laughs> I would leave Rebecca for The Rock. You would? Oh, yeah. Actually, Laura, uh, a listener named Candace wanted to hear more of your investigation stories, but um, unfortunately, you can't talk about those, right? <laughs> I can't talk about those. No, unfortunately not. Sometimes I can sort of disguise them, but not too often. I can tell a lot of good reporter stories. That's true. You can. So the new podcast from Laura Bricker, stories I can't really talk about. <laughs> <laughs> now available sounds... from Sister Premium. <laughs> this this is what we know. In 1987, there were some stories I couldn't talk about. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. So, Toby, this one is for you. Uh, Tina wants to know, how does it feel to have a whole community of people basically obsessed with you? <laughs> it's hard because... You know, not being able to, like, go to the mall and stuff anymore. <laughs> I, just, I just want to live like a normal person. Yeah, yeah. But this is what happens. Yeah. You're, you're identified when you're on customer service hold, and you're like, hey, you sound like Toby Ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny. I ran into uh, a couple of people who are grad students at the college that I work at, but who had listened to Crime Writers On before they knew that I was on it. Mm-hmm. And so I ran into them at the local Home Depot and chat with them a little bit about true crime. <laughs> You're like, damn it, I just want drywall screws. Can I go anywhere? So, Kevin, this one is for you. Um, why is the Partners in Crime Media logo at the end of the podcast in an English accent? Uh, well, I will only answer that on Married with Podcast. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's two voices, right? It's a guy's voice and a yep. woman's voice. Yep. 
I don't know, you picked them both. I picked them both, yeah. They were the cheapest ones on Fiverr. They were both on Fiverr, yeah. They were yeah. both like voiceover people advertising on Fiverr. And I just, we, need, we need a professional voice to say four words. Well, basically, we're not spending 100 bucks on that. Well, basically, I wanted to make the audio logo, and I wanted to hear what a couple of different voiceover people would sound like making it. So I actually put a bunch of, actually paid a bunch of people to do it, and I loved the guy with the super deep Barry White voice, and I also loved the British woman because I thought she was super sexy, and then I was just playing with it in session, and I accidentally put them on top of each other, sort of like you got that chocolate into that peanut butter. <laughs> okay, that now sounds weird, <laughs> but yes, yeah. I did, and uh, I accidentally laid them over each other. I loved the way it sounded. I was like, that's it, it stuck. So that's how that happened. Uh, we also got a bunch of questions on Facebook this week. We're not going to answer them because honestly. Uh, you can find answers to them elsewhere. Like, like Facebook. Like Married with Podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. We got yeah. questions about how we met, all the four of us, which, by mm-hmm. the way, you can find in a recent Facebook Live video that was posted on our Facebook mm-hmm. page from an event we did. And we got questions, Kevin, you and I, we got a bunch of questions about how we make all these podcasts and also have day jobs, which, by the way, we actually answer in the first episode of Mary with Podcast. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to our first review of the evening. Now we're going to talk about a very tiny podcast with some very big laughs, at least in my house. This is a mini review because each episode of Done Disappeared is only about 10 minutes long. Last week, you heard me recommend this podcast, Done Disappeared. It is a parody that skewers citizen sleuthery and the pedantic cases and tropes that make up the lesser entrance of the true crime podcast genre. On Done Disappeared, the do-it-yourself investigation is run by a clueless protagonist who goes by by the name John David Booter, and could he ask more rhetorical questions? Could he ask more rhetorical questions? (laughs) I looked in the mirror and spit at my reflection, ashamed at what I'd become. I kept asking myself, where was Clara? Where had she gone? Would she be found? Would I find her? Had she been found? So, um, first question for you, Laura Bricker. Is John David yes. Booter um, the greatest podcast host ever or just the very greatest podcast host mm-hmm. ever? What do you think, Laura? Well, here's what I know. Um, <laughs> I think he might be the very greatest podcast host ever, but I'm going to have to talk to some people first and right. think about that for a while. You're going to have to like get on the case. Maybe put out something on our Facebook page and get some clues. Yep. Yeah, I might have to go down into the basement and have some quiet time and think about that. (laughs) Well, that obviously was a joke question. So, Kevin, can you talk a little bit about what this podcast really is about? I forget the the joke question out of the way. And folks, remember last week that this was your recommendation for a uh, Thanksgiving listen. Basically, it revolves, it's a fictional podcast that revolves around a missing woman from 1987. The only clue is that she left behind a tiny birthday cake. <laughs> in a parking spot. In a parking in spot. In a Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. And, like, you know, there's a lot of questions about whether this cake is big enough to feed anybody. <laughs> you know, I think we said it last week. Maybe I think I was. I said it last week. For what American Vandal did for those true crime documentaries, this does for true crime podcasts that it, it skewers a lot of the conventions. And the writing is just so earnest and quick. Mm. The humor is quick. Mm. You probably don't even have to be a fan of true crime to get the writing, but there's, there's a lot of sort of inside jokes that are going on. But it really helps if you've listened to Up and Vanished because that is the primary target, I think. I think that's of, sort of, of the, the source material. But they're also pulling in things like Undisclosed mm-hmm. and True Crime Garage and, and some Wyrick. other. And why? <laughs> somebody who sounds like Wyrick. Did you know him? You 
love him, the soldier. <laughs> it may have been Wyrek. He was pretty close. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't think any of us are going to walk no. away unscathed. All and that's I know fine. is yeah. I am just waiting for us to make our parody cameo. So seriously, Toby, is this parody slash satire little true crime podcast working for you? What do you think so far with the writing and so forth? Yeah, I, I definitely like it. Like a lot of these things, I think it, you know, it hits like eight or nine out of 10 of the times that it, it tries something. It's definitely clever. It definitely, I think, it's definitely, I think. That's great. Um, <laughs> you sound like John David Booter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, Toby Ball, believe that he picks up on some of the same stuff that I think that we have in the past and, you know, and, and does, a, does a funny job of poking fun at it, and especially sort of the passive take that sometimes some of these podcasters take in approaching their cases. So like he goes for a couple of weeks and then he gets a Facebook message from somebody <laughs> with just like a bunch of bullshit. It was a few weeks into the investigation and a number of people had called our tip line to recount experiences they'd allegedly had with Clara. Like Jennifer Feniger, a New York City professional woman who'd taken a French class with Clara here in Davistown, Pennsylvania. Oh, sure, I remember Clara Pockets. It was hard to miss her. She had those piercing blue eyes and those limp dishwater blonde locks walking around with the labored gait of an old mare. Of course I remember her. What happened to her? Actually, as a matter of fact, she uh, she done disappeared. Oh, my God. <laughs> and like, But that's his big break, mm-hmm. and that's it's sadly apt. Yes, yes. I think it's funny because some people start listening, and they don't, immediately know whether this is for real or not. It really hit me, A, that this was a joke and that it was super funny when it starts off this is John David Booter by saying, My name is John David Booter. I'm not a podcaster. I'm a filmmaker. I've never made a podcast. But I've also never made a film. And I've also never made, made a film. A film. <laughs> <laughs> and then he talks later in that episode about um, for my next and first documentary. Like, yeah. <laughs> but that's what the right, it just, it's boom, boom, boom. It's little things like that. Like he, he always talks about, the, this is what we know about the crime. Here's a recap of everything we know so far. Clara Pockets went missing on October 1987. On October 1987. <laughs> and that's it. That's, that's the end of the rundown within yeah. it. You know, Nalara, one of the things that I love about the show, first off, I, I just make the comment that these episodes are very short. And yes. I have listened to each of them like three times each. And every oh, wow. time I listen to them, on, that you hear new things every time you listen to an episode again. There are so many tiny jokes like wedged in between other jokes the way that he uses audio for instance um if you listen to the audio he does of the phone calls you know there's been speculation on some of these crappy true crime podcasts that phone calls have been faked and he does the phone calls in a way that sound like they've been faked but they also sound like they may not have been faked it's a very nuanced like use of sound and sound design in this super crappy sounding parody of a super crappy podcast mm-hmm. Hello. um hi this is john david booter the host of the upcoming true crime podcast done disappeared with me john david booter am i speaking to michael woolley yes this is he um, hi michael i got your voicemail saying that you may have information about who took clara pockets why she disappeared where she might be and how is that true <laughs> but one of the things that i love the most about it and laura i want your thoughts on this is um he isn't just parodying the content of these horrible true crime podcasts. He's also parodying the business model and how they are on social media. What do you think of the way that he's doing that and 
the various ways he's trying to extract money from his listeners on this show. I think it's pretty hysterical, but you know, because I love how quickly it's happening after the first 10 minute episode. It's like, well, after our success of our first episode, now we're going to have a TV show and or now we're going to be going on a tour. And uh, now we're going to be on Stitcher Premium. I know. <laughs> you can only hope because I might I, I would actually pay to hear him a week ahead of time. It's it's so funny. And what's great is also, you know, people that maybe don't know, like I get all the references because I know exactly what he's kind of making fun of. Uh, well, not kind of what he is making fun Up of. Vanished. But, uh, yes. <laughs> but I will say, so we listened to this on our way to Thanksgiving last week and we were able to listen to the first three episodes because they were short. And so I had my husband and son in the car and they don't know anything about true crime podcasts besides what they hear from me. And they both found it entertaining. So like the rest of the day, my son's walking around being like, you know, John David Booter, because he's John David Booter. And I think he needs a meme. Is there a <laughs> meme of John David Booter? Because I think there needs to be a meme. So I think it, you know, it appeals to us because we know all these little specific instances. But, you know, it's just funny. Yeah, no, I agree. And one of my favorite things that's really come to life as a result of the show is the meta around the show. The social media around the show is super clever. There's an official done disappeared Facebook discussion group <laughs> and everyone on it is just earnestly talking about the podcast as if it's a real podcast. It's hilarious. <laughs> John David Booter's alleged John David Booter's uh, responses on social media to negative reviews of the show, some of which have been left by devotees of a particular other, uh, not a podcaster's podcast. I have left like zero star reviews with horrible things like, you know, there's nothing funny about this podcast. And John David Booter will say, you're right. There is nothing funny. Clara's disappearance is very serious. <laughs> it's the only thing we should be focusing on. I like what he said. Most people who are kidnapped die within the first 30 years. <laughs> Their disappearance. Right. It's been 28 years. We still have two years. We only have two years left to find Clara Pockets. Clara Pockets. Clara. Yes, Clara. his pronunciation of her name is like a whole other thing. That oh, I, really? Yes. Well, that sounds like yes. a weird thing. Laura, <laughs> that people that podcaster. I have to tell on. you that my best friend growing up was Clara, so it was Clara and Lara or Clara and Laura. Yes, so I did pick up on the pronunciation. But it's funny; it, it, the length is really important because, like a good joke, it should be brief, right. and it doesn't go on. Each episode doesn't go on so long that it becomes belabored. He is moving it around. He's changing this scene goes to that scene, so it isn't like one long joke that he's you know trying to squeeze out as many one-liners as he can in a certain scene moves it along ends the episode then you're ready to go on to the next one when it when it comes up so i think the pacing and the size of it is actually part of the the key to why it's so entertaining. Oh, I'm dying for the next one when one ends. Like when i saw that episode 4 came out today like, I immediately emailed all of you, and I was like, it's out. I was like, it won't refresh. <laughs> there are very few podcasts these days that I feel that way about. Like, I'm so excited. Little, like, backstory, uh, I may or may not have been in touch a little bit with- The uh, man the, behind the scenes? The man known as John David Booter. Does he live in your house? That's what I want to know. not. Oh. Is so, he under the age of 20 living in your house? So That's what many I think. people is, have asked me- if, Whether it's the whether handsome it's, line Whether editor. it's Lance Lion yeah. or Henry Lavoie, or whether it's someone else we know, no. No, it is not. It is somebody, though, who is a listener to all these things and who knows people we know, but is completely new to this. This is the thing that I love so much about this is that John David Booter is in real life, not a podcaster. Let's not out him. Who's just really doing a great job it's making it on a podcast. Yeah. So so I have a quick question for you, Kevin. Yeah. Um, I don't want to give away the joke uh, of what these are, mm -hmm. but 
how does one get away with doing fake ads for real products <laughs> in a podcast? <laughs> I mean, I think it's part of the parody and the yep. satire. Yeah. So, you know, legally you're protected uh, as far as like giving away, like go to use this backslash and this code. And get 100% there. off. Get 100% <laughs> off. You can't use the code. There's the, the code doesn't exist. He made it up. Right. So when you use code John David Booter. <laughs> At Squarespace. <laughs> at Squarespace so that no one can ever find your website that was, ever? That's funny. That is, the Squarespace <laughs> ad is goddamn funny. All the ads Only part funny. because if you've ever used Squarespace, you know that when you create the ad, unless you buy like a, when, a when URL. You, when you first create your site, yes, yeah. The site is like. Rebecca Lavoy dot blah, blah, blah. Rebecca hyphen Lavoy backslash 56271 or square. You know, yeah, no one's ever going to find that. And you, you'll, you'll get forty uh, percent off whatever it is Squarespace does. <laughs> he just craps all over. They were all real, real bits except for big box of shit. Yes, get yes. big box. That I lost it with that one. Yeah. So he did really good. And actually, this last episode where he did Brooklyn and Sheets, mm-hmm. and <laughs> uh, that was hysterical. Though he missed a couple of things with like how Brooklyn and cuts out unnecessary markups. Retail wait, licensing wait, wait. Is fees this a real bro- and like- manufacturing waste in order to offer high-end designs stop, 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 stop. and exceptional savings ad? across the collection. Is this a real Brooklyn ad right now? Brooklyn is the <laughs> fastest-growing betting brand in the world because people love these products. Their sheets have over 12,000 five-star reviews. Brooklyn and sheets were named the winner of the best of online category by Good Housekeeping. It's luxury betting, underpriced. It's the perfect gift. The four of us have Brooklyn and Sheets. We do have Brooklyn and Sheets. We would not do in our sheets what John David, what John David Booter says you can do <laughs> in Brooklyn and Sheets. We However, they are that comfortable, though. They are wonderful. They are. <laughs> I'll tell you, my new kittens like those Brooklyn and Sheets. They like to sleep <laughs> under them. You get those for goddamn real. kittens out of those Brooklyn and luxury sheets. <laughs> They're guaranteed for life. They are. So even if the uh, the kittens do a Booter, they do a Booter <laughs> inside the Brooklyn and Sheets. You can uh, you can send them back. Just try these sheets. I, we love them. We know you're going to love them too. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer for our listeners. Get twenty dollars off and free shipping when you use promo code crime, crime. at Brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love the new sheets. They offer a risk-free sixty-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. And pillowcases, I'm assuming as well. Yes, because the pillowcases are amazing too. Pillowcases are rad. You forget yeah. that you They're can't get the sheets designed. without pillowcases. They're perfectly designed with that little envelope end. Yeah, I love a little them. Tuck in. There's no reason mm-hmm. not to give these sheets a try for yourself or as a gift this holiday season. Give the gift of luxury seats. The only way to get ten dollars off and free shipping is to use promo code Crime. Crime at brooklinen.com. That's B R O O K. L-I-N-E-N dot com. Promo code CRIME. Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. All right, Kevin. I know we probably have another ad to do. But before we do, can we please recommend to our audience whether or not they should check out Done Disappeared, the amazing, tiny, true crime podcast produced by John David Booter, written by John David Booter, with music by John David Booter and Johan Johan Johannesburg. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. So, Laura Bricker, uh, do you recommend to our crime writers on listeners that they check out the amazing, tiny, true crime podcast, Done Disappeared? I do. I mean, we may not find out who drew the dicks, but we will find out, perhaps, what happened to Clara Pockets. Do you have any theories about what happened to Clara Pockets, Laura? 
Well, I'll let you know next week. <laughs> <laughs> Toby Ball, um, before you give your thumbs up or thumbs down review of Den Disappeared, um, how soon do you think we might hear a satire on Toby Ball on this podcast? I'm like a little bit terrified <laughs> about that. Uh, what do you think, Toby? I don't think you can satire me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's one of the things that can happen. I give it a 92% thumbs up. And I also would like to say that I'll be extremely disappointed if we do find out what happens to Clara Pockets. Because I think if there's one thing we've learned is that they never figure it out. <laughs> or if they do, it wasn't actually them who figured it out. It was by out. accident. Someone exactly. Else it. Yeah. That's right. That w- it's true. It's true. Well, I, I also am going to give Dunn Disappeared a thumbs up, a big thumbs up. The fact that he's expanding the parody universe. We hear a little bit of parody in the sound design to shows like Tannis and um, Black Tapes. I think we heard a little parody of Undisclosed this week in the show with their new business model of doing the after, the after, the after show. I just, I love everything that uh, Mr. John David Booter is doing. And the the good guys over at uh, True Crime Garage. And the good guys, do you mean True Crime Dump Truck? Yes. I I just really, really love it and I'm loving listening to it. What about you, Kevin? I already said I liked it. (laughs) What are you drinking? You know, Rebecca, I really loved reading to my kids because I could always read them the same book over and over again. (laughs) You just memorize it. I just memorize it. Well, it was definitely the best part of the day, but I try to imagine how excited they would be if the book that I was reading was all about them. So with the books from Wonderbly.com, you can get exactly that and more. Wonderbly offers one-of-a-kind personalized books that you design online in just minutes, and they make wonderful gifts for Christmas or Hanukkah or any other occasion. Check out this book. If I said Golden Ticket, what would you think of? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Absolutely. So the book My Golden Ticket is created in collaboration with Roald Dahl himself. Mm -hmm. Does it come with a chocolate bar? Now, why are you jumping ahead and giving away all the good stuff? (laughs) I'm just hoping. That's what I also think of when I think of Golden Ticket as a big chocolate bar. Yeah, well, a new personalized book fresh from Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Now, any child can be Charlie. Personalization includes your own chocolate bar with ingredients inspired by the letters in the child's name found in never-before-explored rooms in the Chocolate Factory. Nice. So go to Wonderbly.com. That's W-O-N-D-E-R. B-L-Y dot com and enter your little one's name for a full free preview of their story. Nice. And then you enter code CRIME at checkout and get 15% off your order. Visit Wonderbly.com today. Use code CRIME at checkout. That's what I said. All right, well, moving on. Now we're going to talk about the new Netflix limited series, Alias Grace. Based loosely on a true story, this Margaret Atwood adaptation follows the legal troubles of an Irish immigrant turned house servant in Ontario accused of a double murder. And the American doctor enlisted to uncover the secrets of the crime that could exonerate her. Written and directed by women, the series serves as both a murder mystery and a commentary on feminism and misogyny in the 19th century and, dare I say, today. So as we've been doing in recent episodes of the show, if you haven't yet watched Alias Grace and you want to skip our conversation about it, perhaps to not spoil yourself, check out the show notes and I will put a timestamp there that just shows you exactly when we are going to be giving our thumbs up, thumbs down review of Alias Grace. Laura, can you talk about the true crime that's behind the story? Because one of the things this show does not do is mm-hmm. talk about the source material. 
Yeah, so I was I was really interested in this because I saw that this was based on an actual case. Um, so I wanted to kind of go back and see what this case was. Um, it's a case that took place in 1843 in what was then called Upper Canada. It was a British colony located in what is now Ontario. And so the people are the same. So the people in the book are actually the people that are in the murder case. Hmm. Uh, Thomas Kinnear, he's a Scottish gentleman, and his property was about 16 miles outside of Toronto. We saw it kind of in the in the film that um, it was a little bit outside of town. And he was found shot in his chest, and Nancy Montgomery, his housekeeper and lover, had been hit in the head with an axe and then strangled. So a lot of this is is pretty similar. And the people are the same. Uh, 20-year-old James McDermott and 16-year-old Grace Marks. Um, they were Irish immigrants who had been working on the property for a few weeks. They were both gone by the time the bodies were discovered. Um, McDermott had served as a soldier in a Canadian regiment. And uh, Grace Marks had been a servant in a number of different houses. They were both suspects right away. But who played a bigger role remains a mystery to this day. And both were convicted. Uh, McDermott was convicted of first-degree murder. Marks was convicted as an accessory before and after the fact. Both were sentenced to death, but they took pity on Marks. And so, you know, McDermott was hanged, but Marks was given life without parole. Or at that time, I don't think it was called life without parole, but she was given a life, life imprisonment sentence. So it was, you know, not until 100 years later, or over 100 years, that Margaret Atwood heard about this story reading about it in a book called Life in the Clearings versus the Bush, a chronicle of 19th century pioneer life. Um, and that was written by Susanna Moody, who was an English immigrant who lived in Canada. So she read this book in the 60s, but she kind of thought about the case for a number of years before she actually decided to write about it, writing The Handmaid's Tale, which we talked about earlier this year first. Um, and she finally wrote this book in 1996. So there's a lot of artistic license taken in terms of what may have actually happened, but the actual people are the same, which is really fascinating and makes it even more interesting, I think, at the end of the show to kind of figure out, you know, what really happened. Hmm. Now, Toby, there are a lot of paranormal elements in the show. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on those. I mean, you've told me that you've kind of like played with those ideas in your own writing. And I'm curious to know how you think those were executed in Alias Grace. So I've I've only gotten through the first four episodes and then I read the Wikipedia uh, <laughs> things on the last two. <laughs> OK, it sounds like it goes off the rails a little bit. But <laughs> up until uh, up through episode four. The two things that happen is, uh, you know, Grace hears her friend Mary, is that right? Yep. Yeah. Say, let me in. And then, you know, later she talks about like feeling like Mary is somehow within her in some ways. And so what I think is kind of interesting about this is not necessarily that it's like, you know, literal supernatural like possession and stuff, but the way that Grace sort of processes what's going on around her and the fact that like her first sort of legit friend, I guess, at least as far as you know from the story, dies in this absolutely horrible way. You know, you can you can empathize that she probably has questions about whether she's going to have this kind of relationship with anyone again. And then so sort of feeling as though she's taking in the soul of her friend is a way of kind of sort of psychologically coping with it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the way I took it. And I think it's a good way of trying to get inside sort of a person's coping yep. uh, mechanism within their own sort of worldview. Right. Well, I think that the Mary storyline is where the Margaret Atwood-ness of this 
comes out the most. I think this whole idea that Margaret Atwood adapted this story really kind of comes through at the start there and that Mary, Grace's friend, basically dies She's a victim of the patriarchy in like eight different ways. You know, she's, you know, the ca- she's the cast off lover of this rich guy who doesn't give a crap about women. And then she has a botched abortion. And then there's all this shame around it. And it feels very Margaret Atwood. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. didn't this feel like it started to you, Kevin, as like in, you know, we, we just watched The Handmaid's Tale a couple of months ago. This series started with a very strong like pro-feminist, pro, like, putting misogyny out there, very Margaret Atwood feel. And it feels very timely in that way. Right, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I haven't read any of Margaret Atwood's uh, books, but, you know, I'm very familiar, you know, with her reputation and her style, and, of course, with Handmaid's Tale. Funny, it did seem a little bit like a... um, like an 18th century handmade cell. And maybe it's just the bonnets. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I certainly picked up that there was, you know, that feminist thread through, we, you know, and those themes woven throughout the story. Don't you mean sewed throughout the story? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, stitched <laughs> through. But I just kind of recognized them in sort of an academic way. Mm-hmm. And they didn't resonate with me. And I'm going to say probably, you know, without irony, I'm a man. And this is the kind of thing that I think more women are attuned to. It's not a put down. I'm just saying that I knew it was there. It didn't resonate with me and it probably wouldn't resonate with me on the same level as a woman who is a proud feminist. Well, here's the thing, Kevin. If something is well done, it will resonate with you. I'm not saying you're twisting twisting around what I said. You're absolutely twisting around what I I said. What I'm saying is that it didn't resonate with me either. Mm -hmm. I saw it. I knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And it also didn't resonate with me, not because I didn't see it. Like, I knew what it meant. I knew what I was supposed to feel. But I don't know if anyone else noticed this. You know, Laura, I'll ask you because you are an astute observer and private eye. <laughs> um, the production quality of this show, it's difficult to compare it to, like, The Handmaid's Tale, which was just so it's beautifully hard not to, done. Though. It is hard not yeah. to. It's another Margaret Atwood source material thing. And I know that Netflix is broadcasting what in like Ultra HD or whatever, and we have one of those like 4K TVs. Mm-hmm. But I felt like in this show, I could see the frayed edges of the production. I could see, for instance, the wigs. I could see some of the makeup. I felt like there were details that maybe pulled me a little bit out of the story in a way that... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did the same thing happen to you at all, Laura? Yeah, it, it's almost like they were trying too hard to make it a period piece to me mm-hmm. um, in certain in certain parts of it, in terms of the lighting that they were using, and even the accents were a little bit like over the top for me at certain points. You can't help, like you said, not compare it to A Handmaid's Tale, which just was such a different visual experience in this. Um, this one almost felt like it was made 10, 15 years ago <laughs> yeah. type thing. So are, are you, <laughs> you saying that, I mean? Are you saying that Canadian production <laughs> values are inferior to American? It takes place no. in Canada. I don't yeah, think but it, it was, was also produced by no. uh, CBC, was a co-producer yeah, of it. Yeah, Sarah Polly, yeah. who's a Canadian actress and writer, wrote the teleplay for this. Yeah, it was yeah. also, there was a female director, a female yeah. writer. I mean, it's very empowering. Um, yeah, that's condescending. That's like half the population. It's totally condescending. Uh, all right. Well, this but show, if I can't talk about the fem- no, I know, I know. You, but you Kevin, know, this it, it show just... also has a female writer and a female producer and a female lead, and 
that's okay. Like that, that's, and you're doing a very nice job. Thank you. Rebecca. Yeah, good job, Rebecca. For, yeah. Especially for a woman. For, yeah, for a woman, <laughs> little lady. But just, I, but, just don't laugh as much. No, please. but you, but you know what feminism is? Feminism is being able to look at something that women made and saying it's not perfect. Like there are things wrong with it. Like just because it has that sort of stuff behind it. Doesn't mean we can't pick it right, apart. Well, the main reason the wrong the label, but the theme there is of uh, female empowerment, or in this case, female disenfranchisement. Right, right. Okay. Whereas, you know, with The Handmaid's Tale, similar themes, but it was more of a call to arms and mm-hmm. sort of an eye opening. These are the rights and privileges. Uh, that women could lose in this dystopian world, whereas looking back, in, you know, in a historical context, it was a dystopian world like, back then. <laughs> well, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's how it was. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. You know, so it's a different flavor, right? I think one of the things that both Handmaid's Tale and Alias Grace do well, and I, I assume it's because of Margaret Atwood, and I think it's especially resonant, like right now, is the sort of psychology of men who, I don't know if predators is exactly the right word, but are, are exploitive of women. Yeah. And the way they kind of are able to psychologically make it okay with themselves and that they try and, you know, even if there's not like a genuine commitment, try and treat women, these women especially nice, who the where the power imbalance lies until the moment in which it's inconvenient. Yeah. But my sense was is that the son, whatever that kid's name is, who uh, impregnates Mary and then sets his sight on Grace, yeah. he is basically fairly pleasant to Mary, is, is encouraging to her and makes eye contact. And you can tell that he sort of feels as though he has some kind of emotional investment. And I think it was the same way, again, with the commander in Handmaid's Tale, in that he's able to convince himself that he to whatever degree, loves whatever her name was. Alfred. And and will do nice things for her or whatever. But it's always something he can walk away from and that she can't. Right. Her sort of understanding of the psychology that men use upon themselves in order to justify this and be able to live with this, mm-hmm. I think is, is pretty strong. I think it is too. I, I, I agree with you. And I think it comes out in the way that the dialogue, you see Grace responding to men, basically telling them what she knows they want to hear. You also see this doctor who I think at the in start we're supposed to think is like the feminist protagonist who's going to come in and be the savior. And then it turns out he's basically the same as all the other men that are shown in the show in terms of his ability to sort of like switch it off and just be like a super dick, like <laughs> like out of nowhere. It's funny, that narrative device reminds me a lot and it's used an awful lot but when I try to come up with examples I can only really think of female writers where it's the device of of somebody telling someone else's story like in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or in Interview with the Vampire by Anne Rice where you're telling or this where you have the okay here's the you know the protagonist you have somebody else coming in and trying to extract the story, and, the, and and that's really the narrative device that that pushes the thing along. And then we find out halfway through the show, the narrative device is actually a letter she is writing to that same Sometimes. guy. Sometimes. So we, so no. But we also find that she is a really unreliable narrator. Super unreliable narrator. So Laura, you know, we were just talking about Grace being this like ultimate unreliable narrator. Now she's yes. the, she's narrating the story to the doctor, but she's also telling it to the audience. And there's also this other layer of the letter where she is then recounting her experience of telling it to the doctor 
to the yeah. audience. Um, what do you think of these layers of her narration and this idea that we're supposed to be looking for some signs of innocence? Like, does the innocence cease to matter and it all becomes about the unreliableness of the narration? Yeah, you know, it, I, I kept waiting, you know, during these different sort of narrations to kind of hone in on, okay, and I say that, I say hone in, I know it's hon- whatever, I say it's it wrong. <laughs> I say hone in. I've said it for years. Um, it's okay. I say so Laura, I, you, and your name's Laura, so there's that. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I don't even realize I'm doing it. Um, so, you know, I was waiting. You know, as we're hearing different parts of the story, I'm like, okay, now this is going to be the real story, and now this is going to be the real story, and trying to kind of s- figure out what exactly is going on there. But, you know, I don't even know if that's the point of this story, Um, going back to the whole issue of like women and how they're being treated at a certain time by society. And I think that may be more what we're supposed to be getting at with the story. And I think that sort of comes out at the end when we're getting, you know, hearing the letter that Grace wrote to Dr. Jordan when he's basically like um, catatonic and has been injured in the war and he's just sort of laying there on his, his little chair where, where she talks about her husband and and she's now married to the nice guy I don't remember his name the one who was always kind to James, her at the house yes James but James wants to only hear stories about the suffering she endured and the horrible things that were happening to her and she kind of changes her story based on what James wants to hear and then she she basically admits outright herself that she was unreliable to the doctor saying um, she said I may have changed some of the details of my story to suit what I thought you wanted to hear it did Mm -hmm. make me feel I was of some use in this world and you know going back to you know hearing that and then looking back at the story and how she was telling the narrative it's like her value as a woman was like, I'm going to make him happy by telling him what he wants to hear, even if it's not the truth. Right. Um, so that was sort of where she was deriving her, you know, sense of self-worth at that point. Although I would like to know, you know, I, I still am confused, like who did it, who, you know, yeah. what really happened. They never actually show that. It's the most frustrating thing about the show. Oh, it was super frustrating. Is she Mary? Is Mary just, was it really even a Mary? Is Mary just one of her other personalities? And this whole Mary story was a f- figment of her imagination. Who knows? Who knows is right because they they never actually show the crime. They never well, show. They show four versions but, of but it. But they show yeah. the end of it. They don't actually show like. For, no, they show everything. No, Anna but Paquin. And at one point, Anna Paquin is just yelling at her. Mm-hmm. And the next point, she's standing outside in the yard and hears something. And then all the scenes we see are just like whether or not she strangled him. We never actually see we the see yeah. her strangle. We building see up. he strangle. Right. We see her conscious but bleeding. You know, we see her one where she's not bleeding. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's all these different, it is different versions, and that's part of what makes it disorienting for the viewer. But I think that's yeah. on purpose because it wants to kind of keep you off balance and not, re- if you know in your heart that she is pure as the white driven snow, then there's a different kind of investment for the viewer than it is if you're unsure. Yep. Well, I do want to talk quickly about characters and casting. I know there are a lot of mixed feelings out there, and I've seen it on our social media about Anna Paquin in this role. I'm a big fan of Anna Paquin. I think she's a great actress. I think she's an unusual looking actress, and that maybe for some reason that's weird for people. I don't know. Kevin, do you think Anna Paquin, yay or nay in this? Sookie Stackhouse? Yes. <laughs> I thought she was an unusual. Uh, yeah, Strange I was surprised pick? to see her in this supporting role. Huh. Okay, because she could have been, she's usually like part of in the front. I, I don't know. I you just... don't love her in this? 
Uh, what about you, Laura? No. Laura, no, Sookie Stackhouse, yay or nay in this in this uh, show? Yeah, yeah, she was okay. I mean, I think that she she did the role well, and you definitely came away seeing how somebody would want to kill her. Yeah. So- <laughs> There's it's that. like an episode of SVU. When you see the famous star, you know they're either the killer, the victim, or the lawyer. I want to talk for a minute about the character Jeremiah, who at the beginning the of the show is the sort of wandering merchant that all of the uh, house servant ladies sort of clamor around and love. And, you know, that's the one that Mary teases Grace. She's going to marry. He shows up in the second version of her life. And then he shows up at the end as this alleged hypnotist. And we've gotten a nod earlier that he plans to be a con man hypnotist. Then he hypnotizes her, gets this entire climactic scene where she may or may not be lying, telling the truth, summoning a spirit we don't know. And then we never see him again. Kevin, what was the point of this character, Jeremiah? What do you think? Well, I, I think it was ultimately was to, to, to drive him to that final scene with the, uh, the hypnotism in front of the, you know, the crowd of supporters. I thought that that was, you know, a great highlight in what was otherwise for me not a really great series, mm-hmm. I thought that that was you know dramatically a really great scene. Where what the hypnotism scene? The hypnotism, you know, Mary comes forth. The question about you know is this really Mary? Is this a con? Is this psychosis? You know, we don't know. But it was really dramatic, and it was the closest we got to finding out what happened. I did like when um, Grace, as Mary, was sassing the governor's daughter and like putting her in her yeah. place. That was fun. slut. So, Laura, did you think that the hypnotism thing, real fake, split personality, a con? What do you think? Who the hell knows? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I was like, they're in on it together. They're going to give each other the secret signal. She's going to be like, oh, now I'm Mary. Now I'm Grace. I guess for me, that character, I felt like he was going in one direction when, you know, he showed up and they're so happy when he shows up and then he asked her to run away with him. And so I'm like, oh, he's back to take her away with him. And then he does this whole hypnotism thing. And I'm like, that's not what I thought was going to happen. But I want to go back just real quick because I had made another note here. Um, Margaret Atwood did an interview with Penguin Random House that was really interesting. Something I didn't know. Um, So at the time that this case actually happened, she's quoted as saying, in those days, you could visit prisons and insane asylums as a tourist attraction. People would go to the prison and say, here I am. I'd like to see Grace Marks. And she would be trotted out for them to look at. That's really um, puts a whole nother layer to this story. Which which I think we saw a little bit in the show. People would come because they wanted to have cake served to them by the murderous Grace. That was a thing we saw on the show. Um, I've got a couple quick. I didn't really get how this double murderer was able to just uh, dust, you know, the silverware in the governor's mansion. So I have a couple of quick, like, rapid-fire questions to ask before we just sum this up with a review. Um, Listener Danielle wants to know, WTF in this show with people puking all the time? (laughs) (laughs) Which we're not going to answer. I just thought that was a funny question. No Pepto-Bismol in the (laughs) 1860s. But one of the things that somebody pointed out, a couple people pointed out, was the the quilt sewing metaphor. You know, we hear about this Mm -hmm. quilt, the whole kind of show, and then at the end we sort of see, you know, Grace talks about having sewed the most important parts of her life into a quilt. So uh, one of our listeners asked, um, crime writers, if you were going to sew something into a quilt um, (laughs) that signified something about you, what would it be? Uh, Laura, what do you think? Wow, that's a good question. A bunch of cats. (laughs) Cats? I have some Santa pants that are going to be coming out soon that sort of signify, they're really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. (laughs) What about you, Toby? What would you be? What would be in your quilt? 
2003 Syracuse Basketball National Championship. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Kevin? <laughs> uh, I think it would be uh, those five Vince Lombardi trophies. I cannot believe you missed this layup. Remember when we first met and we used to say... Um, uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> this time with you is so special, I'm going to sew it into a square on a quilt. In a, in a creepy oh sort God. of, I spent the whole night watching you sleep. <laughs> I'm going to make a patch of my quilt about that. Yeah, we used to have that joke wow. all the time. I forgot that joke, yes. But one of the things I did think was I funny. I cut you open like a tauntaun and sleep inside. <laughs> Oh Save it for the podcast, there, folks. <laughs> yeah. with podcast. Well, one of the things I think that that also comes up, I think the marriage to James, as someone pointed out at the end, is this just another prison that she's in? Because we sort of see her doing the same domestic activities that she had to do. Yeah. When she was a servant in prison. Yeah. And when she's married to, but this she doesn't have a split personality, which makes me think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, I I think uh, we've covered some of the salient points of the show, but I just want to do a quick round the horn review. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, Laura Bricker, would you recommend that the listeners of the Crime Writers on podcast check out Alias Grace on Netflix? What do you think? So I'm going to say thumbs up, but I'm going to say thumbs up with the caveat that it wasn't my favorite thing that I watched. It wasn't great, but it's six episodes on Netflix and we're kind of in between good shows on Netflix. So I'd give it a shot. <laughs> What about you, Toby? What do you think? Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down on Alias Grace on Netflix? Uh, I give it a thumbs up. I'm, I'm going to watch the last two episodes. Uh, you know, I think I like it more than you guys did. I'm going to give it a thumbs down because I really enjoyed it at the beginning. And then I don't remember which episode it was, Kevin, maybe episode five, where you and I literally turned to one another about 15 minutes in and said, oh, shit, how much more of this do we have to watch? Something about the pacing of this show really bothered me. Uh, initially, there was sort of a lot of quick, like, interesting layers that kind of got shown. And then as soon as she went to that farm, the whole thing went to hell for me. And I just, I really didn't enjoy, like, I didn't care about what happened. I didn't want to know what happened. And I think the show had a lot of potential. But for me, it just felt really, really flat. And I don't like being able to see an actor's wig in 2017 on my 4K <laughs> TV. Kevin, what about you? I am also a thumbs down, but for sort of the opposite reason. I thought it started very slow. The things that I liked best actually were the last two episodes. I thought it had a very strong ending. It seemed like it took an awful lot of time to get there. And uh, so for me, not so much. Hmm. Um, you know, and you know, I thought maybe I, I was satisfied at the end because he kind of found out what happened yep. in that root cellar. Yep. And a root cellar apparently is a great place to store a body, but it's become obsolete because we have HelloFresh that can bring you all the best ingredients. Oh, the root cellar has become obsolete. Yes. Oh, God. Okay, great. Yes. Yeah, I thought you had a better so, place so to hide a body. Gonna, yeah, you're not going to get killed in the root cellar anymore. No, That's good. Not. No, 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 no. You don't no. need the root cellar. You don't you need the root fresh. cellar. Man, there are so many other places you can go and store that body. Yes. Which is beside the point, because yes. the people at HelloFresh are already running down the hallway, pulling their hair out, <laughs> saying, what the hell is going on on that show? You don't need a root cellar to store your fresh vegetables, because they just get sent to you when yes. you get a subscription to HelloFresh. That's fresh. what I was going for. They will all fit in that little drawer in your fridge. You do not need that scary root cellar. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. With HelloFresh, all the ingredients are delivered right to your door in recyclable insulated packaging and come pre-measured and handy labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go with which recipe. And HelloFresh offers a wide variety of chef-curated recipes that change weekly, including, now they have the classic plan, 
which comes with a wide variety of meat, fish, and seasonal produce. There's a veggie plan for vegetarians and the family plan, which have quick and easy meals that the whole family will love. And better yet, you can choose the delivery day that works best for your schedule. Nice. So, you know, you don't have to wait until Wednesday to get it. Right. If you're, you know, or whatever. You can get it on Monday. Maybe Wednesday's the night. You always have to work late, and that's not going to work. You can even pause it because you're going away for Christmas. And, yep. you know, what are you going to do? Very gonna, convenient. What are you going to do? Let, it, let the neighbors steal it? <laughs> <laughs> you won't spend all night in the kitchen because recipes only take about 30 minutes. Lots of one-pot recipes for seriously speedy cooking and minimal cleanup. Uh, each week there's a 20-minute meal on the classic menu for when you really don't have time. More time than that because you're doing well, like a good so plan. many podcasts. That's like a good plan for podcasters. Yeah. yeah. So for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and you enter promo code CRIME30 to get $30 off. That's crime <laughs> 30, 30 at HelloFresh.com. And you don't even have to kill your own chicken like we had to see poor Grace try to do. Oh, and then pluck uh, it? Yeah. yeah HelloFresh just sends you the chicken, chicken and a nice yes. package. Yeah. Go ahead. What else you got, Kevin? Well, uh, no matter what you do for work, chances are you're staring at your phone or your computer an awful lot. Yep. Like right now, we've I'm got all these computers. Yes. <laughs> A podcast, the recording computer, and the connection. Computer. And what does it get you? you? Got a lot of dryness in the eyes, eye strain. It can do, yeah. You can get migraines, yep, and blurry vision and rage. Yeah, just you really need to protect your eyes. Now you can look right doing it with a pair of computer glasses from Felix, Felix Gray. Gray. Yeah, their glasses have blue light filtering technology embedded into the lens, so they remain effective without the telltale yellow tint. Or color distortion that other blue light filtering glasses have. These aren't like, you know, uh, protective glasses you wear when you're mowing the lawn. So I've got Felix Gray here, mm -hmm. and uh, these are two of the ones that we got. I mean, they all look great. They're, they do look they're, great, they're and they come in really nice cases. Listen to this. And I do. Yeah, it's a nice case. Uh, this one is the Faraday, mm -hmm. and uh, that looks a little Elvis Costello to me. It's very handsome. And I've got this other one here, which I think is your pair. Ooh, I love that. Uh, this is. Uh, I look wicked smart in those. Yeah, this is turning. Yep. Is the and this is very J.J. Abrams. <laughs> so they look really great, and <laughs> and they don't break when you drop them on your studio. You don't mixing board. Don't put them on right now. Yeah, they're available in both non-prescription and reading lenses, uh, and prescription lenses are in the works, so those should be coming soon. I wear my contacts and I wear these over them to protect my eyes from the screen glare. It's yeah, amazing. And, and you look awesome doing it. Thanks, babe. I'm gonna take an Instagram photo of you later. Give your. <laughs> <laughs> Give your eyes the break they deserve. Go to Felix Gray Glasses. That's great, G-R-A-Y. And you get this great case. Yes, right. FelixGrayGlasses.com slash crime, crime to try a pair of Felix Gray computer glasses and discover a smarter way to work. That's FelixGrayGlasses.com slash crime. Crime. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. <laughs> this comes from Canadian superfan Simone. The Mounties are still trying to figure out just what happened during an accident with five naked people in the car oh, who had stuffed a man, woman, and their baby in the trunk. The bedeviling beverage in question isn't alcohol, though. It's tea. Family of the suspects say the last thing the man and four women remember 
was sipping on a new selection of tea the man got from India. The next thing you know, the group of naked passengers showed up at the home of a family and shoved the parents and their baby into the trunk. That sucks. The nude nappers drove around Greater Edmonton. At one point, the family was able to get out of the trunk and flag down a passing pickup for help. That's when the naked driver rammed the truck, putting an end to their joyride. The mounted police handcuffed them with their hands behind their back, so Uh there was no cupping. No, no Uh, cupping. They're investigating whether anything else was added to the tea besides milk and sugar. So, panel, if prosecutors don't buy the story of the hallucinogenic tea, come up with an alternative explanation for these naked kidnappers. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to go with they are good Samaritans, (laughs) and this family (laughs) was in the witness protection program, and... They had to get out of Dodge pretty quickly. And these Good Samaritans just came along and found them in the state and shoved them in the trunk so that the mobsters wouldn't find them. And Mm. off they drove. (laughs) Wow. That's really elaborate. Why the nudity, though, Laura? Well, they were sleeping at night. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Toby Ball? What's another potential reason these naked kidnappers could have performed a naked kidnapping? In November. So the kidnappers are naked, but the the kidnappees are fully clothed. Yes. Yeah. They didn't have shoes. Oh, I thought the people in the trunk were naked. Nope. Oh. No, the five (laughs) people in the car. It's a very confusing crime. It's a very confusing crime. This is very difficult. I think the one thing that I've learned in the last few weeks is that you just brazen it out. You say, no, I got clothes on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what do you mean I'm naked? That's fake news, man. I it got is, close. It is totally fake news. Um, I'm going to say that the uh, five naked kidnappers were doing their best because they really wanted to form the foundation of the next season of Someone Knows Something. Mm. Uh, Kevin, what Ooh. do you think uh, they had in mind? I say if they don't believe it, you just go to court and double down. <laughs> and you say, if they don't drink the tea, you don't see the D. <laughs> or the V. The V. Speaking of the V, uh, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Oh, I got what you did there. (laughs) Oh. Well, I have to tell you quickly, I was afraid for a moment that I might have a little another stampy in the making because Felix, um, cat number one, developed an eye issue no. and his eye was and I was like oh are you fucking kidding me chlamydia. If this has chlamydia in the eye but it wasn't it wasn't the two of them play very rough and the other one like clawed his eyeball and he's uh, fine now so right. I was like oh my god I can't take any more of that do we have a return of a cat of the week or not Laura we do we have two we have a tie because we had two very fun orange cats that kind of remind me of my life right now uh, cat number one Katie Cronk's cat Sunny mm-hmm. who likes to turn on the water um, in the sink and she's had to set up an elaborate contraption with a basket and a toolbox over the faucet so that Sunny doesn't turn the hot water on and run up the electric bill. Nice. Um, and I was all set with Sunny until I saw Christy Lynn's cat, Ricky, another orange cat who likes lollipops. And there is a lovely video called No Kitty, That's My Lollipop. Nice. So, um, two orange boy cats of the week. I feel like this is getting a little racial. We are only focusing on one <laughs> race of cats. <laughs> I think you need to be a little more I, woke with your cat picks, Laura Bricker. Well, I did have a turtle that was in the running, but once I saw <laughs> oh, these, right. I'm, I'm sorry, the turtle had that's, to that's be pretty diverse. Aside. These uh, cats are not Svelte <laughs> Pete's approved. That's true. Uh, Svart Pete. Svart Pete. <laughs> Svelte Pete is a completely different Svart person. Pete. That's com- who I blame in the naked car crash. <laughs> Svart <laughs> Pete did it. <laughs> Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to uh, find you on Twitter and to send you their animals for Cat Slash Animal of the Week, 
week. How can they reach you there? Uh, at Laura Bricker. And I'm so glad this segment is back. We've really, really missed it. No, we actually haven't, but we'll keep doing it anyway. <laughs> uh, Toby Ball, if our listeners want to reach you on Twitter and uh, berate you for reviewing a show that you haven't even finished, how can they find you online? Uh, at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to tweet with you, I don't know, uh, deride you for your use of the expressions the D and the V, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And stay tuned for our new podcast, Married with Podcast. That's right. After the credits and after the outtake, you can hear a short episode of Married with Podcast. And then you can become a member of Stitcher Premium at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. And if you want to find me on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also check out my podcast, HGTV and Me. Subscribe now to catch my upcoming episode that's all about the maybe not handsome Canadian twins known as the Property Brothers. You can tweet to our show at Crime Writers On and join the fine folks in the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group or leave a comment on our regular Facebook page. Go to our website, crimewriterson.com, to sign up for our newsletter. If you love the show or any of our other podcasts, please tell a friend. And if you haven't already, leave a review. It makes a huge difference. Line production by the very handsome Henry Lavoie. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the Podcast Hall of Justice, formerly known as Studio C, and before that, the closet in our basement where I would definitely guest on a podcast called True Crime Dump Truck. Oh yeah, you would. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. I was thinking about like personalized true crime books. <laughs> <laughs> now your kid gets to be the killer. Or the victim. Or the victim. <laughs> If you have two kids, it's even better. That's a great way to get the kids to like uh, start reading this to your kid. Now, if you don't do the dishes, <laughs> guess what's going to happen to your head? Look at this beautiful illustration of your sister stabbing you. <laughs> what is married with podcast, Kevin Flynn? Uh, the thing that you made me come down and watch, so I'm missing baseball. Married with podcast is our discussion of... All things relationships, podcasting, true crime, home improvement, anything our listeners want to talk about. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. You're my real life husband, Kevin Flynn, and we are Married with Podcast. <laughs> So we'll talk about anything that you want to ask us about. Rebecca, go to the mailbag and pull something out. All right. So we're going to get to a couple of questions of people who've submitted them through Facebook and email and on our podcast hotline. So Kevin Flynn, if you could meet and chat with any criminal, dead or alive, who would you choose and why? This is from Robin. Wow. Um, well, you know, there's a lot of like famous ones like, uh, you know, like Lee Harvey Oswald or you could go Jesse James. There's um, a guy that I would want to talk to who was involved in the Brinks heist from the 1950s, mm -hmm. and his name was uh, Joseph Specks O'Keefe. Mm -hmm. He was not the mastermind, but he was the guy who flipped on the other seven, no, 12 guys who pulled off this heist uh, where they broke into the uh, the Brinks uh, armored. It wasn't an armored car. It was, it was the the facility where all the the money was brought in Boston. At the time, it was the largest bank robbery in the history of the U.S. And it was like uh, almost two million in cash and like a million plus in like checks. It was the crime of the century. And Specs 
they almost got away with it because the the statute of limitations was about to run out and Specs was in jail and a guy uh, by the name of Ed Powers with the FBI talked him into turning on the guys like with just a couple days to go. Specs was a really interesting character. First of all, the heist was something where it was the inspiration for things like Ocean's Eleven and this thing, all these caper movies. There was a one called The Bridge Too Far, and uh, like this started that genre where the sto- where the movies are about like what happened. So right. I think he would be really interesting to talk to because, in part, because I've done a lot of research on this crime mm-hmm. for another book. So I know you want me to say like, oh, I would talk to uh, Charles Manson, Charles Manson, or uh, you know Mark David Chapman, right? But uh, no, I would. Uh, I'd like to talk to Joseph Specks O'Keefe. My answer is I don't want to talk to any f- criminals. Oh, so, like, why would you even ask that question? <laughs> this has been Married with Podcasts. But let me just answer this one because it's a good follow-up. If you were granted a wish to have one unsolved case and or wrongful conviction case solved, which case would it be and why? Right now, I have to say I would love a real factual solution to the Adnan Syed Heyman Lee case. It's obvious, but that's actually the one I was thinking, too. I'm dying Oh, that's a horrible way to say it. I really want to know what actually happened to Heyman Lee. I really do. And it's not about whether, for me, Adnan Syed is innocent or guilty. I just think this case has captured the public's imagination mm-hmm. so deeply that what happened to her is probably so different than what anyone thinks. And it would be really, really, really satisfying to see a factual evidence-based solution to that case. Yeah, I agree, because I don't... Th- I don't think that the state's timeline is right. I don't think I ever have. And so, you know, in a way, that doesn't mean that Adnan Syed didn't kill Heyman Lee. It means that he didn't kill her in the way that the state did. But it also doesn't mean that someone else did. So I I don't know. I'm kind of leaning. I don't think that actually Adnan is ultimately the killer. But whoever is and the way it went down and the way that informed like this bad investigation to go in this certain direction, I think that would be so enlightening. You open for like a couple really quick marriage questions? Sure. What is the number one thing that you argue about Kevin and Rebecca? Um podcasting, I think. Hmm. Right? I think I mean that, argue I mean we bicker about it. Uh I don't know. I think we argue about just the same thing that every couple hours you could argue about it has to do has to do with like what hasn't been done around our house. (laughs) Right? Yeah, I know. I need to do the laundry, whatever, bite me. But I think that when we do have arguments about creative things like podcasting, it just gets more heated because we love doing this so much and we both each have very strong ideas about it. Yeah, but it's also, look, in a lot of ways, in a marriage, you're equal partners. Mm -hmm. And in this endeavor, you can't have two executive producers. Mm -hmm. You know, so in each case, and depending on like what podcast we're dealing with, one person is in charge. Is the decider. The decider, the right. The person who gets to make the final cuts. Right, right. Yeah. And whereas if it was, if, if your boss were a, uh, a stranger, mm-hmm. you know, you would have to be deferential to that person. Um, but in every other aspect of our relationship, we're equals. It's hard to take direction sometimes, to be submissive to the other person. I think it's really funny. I don't know if that's the right word, but you, I think you know what I'm getting I know what at. you mean, deferential, respectful. I think it's really funny that you think in every other aspect of our relationship we're equals. 
because <laughs> there are so many things that you're so much better at than I am. And there are things that I'm better at than you are. Oh. Like, we're not equals when it comes to laundry. That's for damn sure. Yeah, you, you, you win at laundry. I crush it. I crush it at laundry, especially now that I have my exciting laundry machines. All right, one final I question. I crush it at sleeping late. You do. You're mm-hmm. so good at it. You can't nap, but God damn it. Of the two of us. I'm a champ. You're snoring on fleek. <laughs> in tune. All right, final question. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Do you laugh as much on your podcast as in your daily lives? That's from Terry. What do you think, Kevin? Oh, be, do we, she, I'm sorry. I'm going to rephrase Terry's question. I think she meant, do, do we, we laugh, laugh in as real much life? in our daily lives as we do on our podcast? Yeah. Yeah, we do. That's the thing. And I think it's it's funny because like, unless you know someone bounds out because they're compelled to do something, I think that like we laugh before we get out of bed. Yeah. You know, you're almost every day, almost every day, whether you're reading The Onion or just something comes up, it's just it's just kind of natural. And that's the thing. That's my superpower. That's the thing I love about our relationship. That's the thing that makes me the most confident is that I can make you laugh. You live to make me laugh. I love to make you laugh (laughs) because when you laugh, it's I know you love me. So that's why I I love making you laugh. And so when somebody like comes on Twitter and says, I didn't like Rebecca's laugh, I just want to be like, well, why don't you go yourself all the way up your (laughs) ass till you cut out your mouth? Because I love my wife and I'm going to keep making her laugh. Wow. That was some that was some oh, badass strenuous oh, language dog. there. Yeah. You did go out. That was sexy. Yeah. Hey, people want to pay for the premium stuff. All right. This is married with, with podcast. Podcast. I always have to have last word. Sorry, babe. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women like me color their hair with gorgeous salon quality multidimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and who have loved Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code writers. That's madison-reed.com. Use the promo code writers. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.